As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Ben here. We're going to start the podcast like normal in just a second. Um, I said in the podcast, I mentioned something about Montez Sweat, seeing him um, getting checked out by a member of the training staff. Uh, Looked like it was like his upper arm kind of deal. Somehow I completely didn't hear about this thumb injury. There was no mention of it in the press box and had no idea. So I think I sounded fairly uh, clueless when I started discussing this. I just wanted to be clear. I'm aware that he had a thumb injury. I saw the a, a report from ESPN that it came back negative. Um, like I said, I there was no mention of it in the post game. I didn't hear an announcement. No idea how that slipped my brain. Twitter becomes a crazy place in the midst of a game. It's hard to keep up with everything. So, And, and nobody else in the beat, I think, tweeted it either. So that's why I kind of missed it. Anyway, just wanted you guys to know that I wasn't uh, completely at the lunch. But somehow I missed the, that one. And I just don't think I heard. I don't think there was an announcement for us. Maybe there was on TV. Anyway, let's get back. Or let's get to the podcast uh, recapping what happened on Sunday in Atlanta. Have a you know, ten win year um, at that point. Plus, you know this three game stretch starting with the Bears, Atlanta next week at the Giants. I'll be there as well for that one. You know, realistically, as we look at the schedule now, these are going to be this is the stretch to make some hay, as as the kids might say. By kids, I mean kids from the 1940s or something. Um, because there's a lot tougher games. On the road ahead, not only do you have two with Dallas, another one with Philly, San Francisco, Miami, Seattle, etc. So, uh, you know, a lot tougher games down the line. This was a chance to get some wins. And, you know, now they are in a position to be 4-3 and three if they can beat the Giants uh, on uh, Sunday in uh, East Rutherford. And they got it done. Kudos to them. We'll get to how they got it done, but good job from Washington to to battle back. This is what this team does, right? Just when you think <laughs> we think they're out, they figure out a way to get it done. Now, this was, as Ron Rivera said, an ugly road win, and he's not wrong about that. But regardless, they got it done, and I think the key for this game was, I think part of it was the opponent. Atlanta is a very unique team in the in the fact of how often they run the ball. They use a lot of uh, two tight ends in an inordinate amount, frankly. Um, 
you know, they've got some interesting pieces on offense and Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, who, um, you know, individually you really kind of have to, um, um, you know, they're, they're not just your ordinary physical athletic matchups. Um, so Washington did a lot of things different. They used more five man fronts to slow down the run. They used more four, three looks than they have, et cetera. And, you know, they also had, we talk about complimentary football, right? Offense, defense, let's not forget special teams. Jamison Crowder's 61-yard punt return really did start to spark this team, and that kind of turned things around. He got tackled at the 10, set up a touchdown. Washington's three touchdowns all on Sam Howell passes were set up by short fields. A, a stop on fourth down gave them the ball at midfield. The, the, the Crowder return got the ball to the 10. Kendall Fuller's interception on the first possession of the second half gave the offense the ball inside the 30. Uh, so this is this was a as much of a team win as I believe they probably have had this year. And like I said, it was, uh, you know, very, very much needed. Now, needless to say, as to, you know, to Rivera's point, this wasn't the prettiest of wins. The offense, which was efficient for the most part, really struggled over the course of the second half while the defense playing a ridiculous 83 snaps held Atlanta to 16 points. They had three, they generated three turnovers, all interceptions, including two in Atlanta's final three possessions. And I mentioned already the special teams plus I thought the special teams coverage was not bad, despite J- Jeremy Reeves on IR. Christian Holmes did not play. Uh, so, you know, an impressive all-around win. But let's get to some specifics here that I wanted to mention. Um, one thing that was that really stood out to me, kind of what I wrote about, was you, you know, we had all this talk about what changes could they make over the from the Bears game to now. People pointed to, you know, possibly firing coaches or, or coordinators. Rivera said in, the, in in real time, come on, it's too early. It's only week five. I didn't disagree with that sentiment. Um, and I don't think we're going to have any calls for that this week. And then you look at the lineup. And you think, well, okay, what changes can you make? And the problem is that um, what could you do? Uh, look around and see. Offensive line, Sam Howell's getting sacked too many times. You want to bench somebody. Okay, where are you going? Now, Cornelius Lucas ends up playing left tackle this game because Charles Leno was unfortunately out dealing with a personal family matter. Best to him and his and his wife and, and their family. Um, so Lucas ends up playing in at left tackle. I haven't seen any specific stats yet in terms of uh, pressures allowed or things like that, but it seems like he held up fairly well. Uh, we'll get to the sacks though in, in, in a moment, but Cornelius Lucas, as an example for people say, Hey, just leave him in for Wiley. Well, Lucas has been here for four years. He has never been viewed as more than a backup when he was a free agent. He, his best option apparently was to return here as a backup. So the idea that you would say, well, put him in for Wiley as a move, that that's maybe helping you on the margins. Over the course of time, 
you see this a lot in basketball is the better way for me to describe it. You'll see a, somebody play 12 or 15 minutes, play pretty good, and people say, hey, play him, play this person more. Then that person plays 30 minutes, and his overall game gets more exposed with more reps. This is kind of what is hap- we've seen with Lucas. When he steps in, he does a fine job, but over time, things tend to fall apart. You know, um, Not fall apart, but he just gets more exposed. And this is where I talk about the lack of depth. Yes, of course, for any one game, any two games, some player could come in and do a good job. And you may not notice it that much. That is short-term depth. But the depth when you're saying, hey, they got to make changes. They got to sit Andrew Wiley. They got to sit Cody Barton. Whomever it else may be you want to point to. That's where the lack of depth is in play here. Now, this was a game of short-term depth, right? Um, I mentioned Cornelius Lucas. Uh, Danny Johnson played uh, a lot in the secondary, while Emmanuel Forbes played zero snaps. You guys hear me all the time talk about Danny Johnson, use him. Okay, it's a similar scenario. Over time, it probably gets exposed, but he can play. Um, Khalid Hudson plays 10 snaps in the game yesterday. He had played one defensive snap all year, and he had three tackles in those snaps. Uh, we'll get to Washington's defensive uh, formations in a minute. But there's not going to be many teams that are going to afford you the idea of playing three linebackers together um, in the way that Washington sees defense. And, you know, unless they think that Khalid Co- Hudson or Jamie Davis could handle the mic duties, meaning calling the signal, relaying the signals to the defense like Cody Barton does, that's not going to be somebody they can take out. David Mayo also played his first snaps yesterday. He would be the natural replacement for Barton. And I'm not suggesting here to replace Barton. I, again, want to go look at the tape and see what happened. I think he had some of the same ups and downs we've seen throughout the year. But obviously, Washington's defense did a very good job against the run, against Atlanta's run. So we want to give everybody credit for that. But, you know, this is the notion of depth. Is where can you bring somebody in who is going to give you the same level or a better level and do so for a potentially longer amount of time. And obviously we understand you never can know for sure how things will unfold. That's why you have to play the game. That's why you have to play people. People may surprise you. But on the surface, this is where we talk about the lack of depth. Okay? So I just want to make that point. But while noting, again, a lot of contributors in this game. Quan Martin got his first reps playing uh, on defense, the second round pick at Illinois. So all these things are helpful and they do have some of those kinds of depth pieces but they do not they 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 struggle with longer term depth and in a game like this where you know again the ugly road win there were some good things for sure but not necessarily things where you're looking at this going wow this is a sustainable model that they can use week after week after week that i'm not convinced of on any level all right let's get to some numbers here though um for this now let's, let's start with the plays the offense, 51 snaps. The defense, an ungodly 83. That is a huge discrepancy there. And it shows how much Atlanta's offense dominated Washington's offense. So, for example, time of possession. Washington only had the ball 23 minutes and 37 seconds. Net yards, Atlanta 402, Washington 193. And, of course, I understand Crowder's punt return does not count in there regardless. Uh, first downs, 25 to 13. 
third down, Washington was held to two of ten. And Washington's after after they score a touchdown to make it twenty-four to ten on the really nice Brian Robinson catch and run uh, with a big finish at the right right outside the goal line for a touchdown. Washington's final for real possession, so not counting the kneel down. 32 net yards, two first downs, 15 plays total. This is why when Rivera sort of sighs a relief and says, you know, basically, we still got to work on a few things, but okay, we got it done. This is kind of what he's talking about, right? Obviously, you take a win any way you can in the NFL, and that's great that they got it done, and that snaps the winning, the losing streak, puts them in position, as I said, to go over 500 after week seven, which would be pretty remarkable in fact my i haven't i didn't look this up but i would think this would that would be the the earliest this team had been over 500 under ron rivera if they were to get that done we'll get to the giants later though in this week they had a tough loss um in a near upset over buffalo um so what do you do here with uh with this scenario so what, what can we take out of the offense? Well, okay, so first of all, Sam Howell, right? As we've discussed, this year really in many ways is all about Sam Howell's progression and another game in which Sam Howell, I thought, played fine. I, I'm not watching him out there thinking to myself, boy, is it when, you know, when is this kid going to, you know, you know, revert into some sort of like, you know, not ready for primetime uh, quarterback. We're not seeing it. Desmond Ritter, on the other hand, threw three interceptions in the second half, and it felt like Atlanta was still doing what they could to kind of avoid putting the ball in his hands too much. He had some success early on, but, you know, uh, faded from there. How, um, you know, again, despite the fact that the offense labored in the second half, how did some good things. Now, that said, we, we knew this was going to happen, right? The Bears previously had two sacks going into the game. They finished with five. Atlanta had five sacks through five weeks. They finished with five. Clearly, from what I could see in real time, a lot of those were on Sam Howell. And, again, we Eric Bannamy described him as sort of a self-inflicted wound earlier last week. And you look at, on Next Generation stats, they've got you know time to throw, which is always a weird I said this before, it's sort of a weird stat. Like, how much is that the play call, hike, get the ball and throw it out versus, hey, drop back, you know, take a seven-step drop, look down the field, then scramble, all these things. Regardless, put it all together and you get a number. The first two weeks, Sam Howell was at 2.87 and 2.88. We'll skip the Buffalo game with the nine sacks. It then went to 2.78 and then 2.72 against the Bears. This week, back up to 2.85. I, 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 it really did look, as I said, and I imagine you all thought the same on TV, that often the issue was with, with these sacks became Sam Howe holding onto the ball. So we'll be curious. We'll talk to Ron Rivera later today. Be curious to see what he thinks of, of that. It's an ongoing situation. So that would be probably the one notable critique of Howe. But again, no turnovers. Whereas Atlanta had three, that was really a huge uh, point in this game but the sacks problematic um, again they did not play with Charles Leno we'll see where he is at for this week um, 
One thing they did in this game that I thought was really helpful was targeting Terry McLaurin. And you might think to yourself, well, I mean, (laughs) shouldn't that be one of the top priorities every week? You would think so. But, you know, again, what is the game plan in for a given opponent? How much do you alter your plan to face that opponent? Um, And, you know, what is the opponent looking to do? Now, in this case, McLaurin didn't this this reminds me of the Philadelphia game they went to McLaurin early and often he had six targets in the first quarter of this game why is that number significant well that matches his number of targets he had in four of the first five games except for the Philadelphia game for the game some games he didn't even get that many targets he finishes with 11 targets uh for six catches 81 yards now, they didn't throw the ball a ton in this game, but when you go to McLaurin that early, that often, you're going to force the defense to sort of have to shift, giving him more more focus, which is logical. And I think at least when the offense was making some plays, that helps open some things up. Curtis Samuel, four targets, four catches, 42 yards, and one touchdown. I, I, um, I saw this stat on Next Gen Stats. Curtis Samuel's third in the NFL going into Monday night in catch percentage, 87.1. So of his 31 targets, he has caught 27. He's been very efficient underneath. He has been a legit uh, weapon for them as sort of this secondary piece. Um, Jahan Dotson, kind of a non-factor. Yet again, no catches, one target. Uh, Logan Thomas, also one target. This is after I mentioned last week I asked Eric Bieniemy kind of you know it, it makes sense if if the tight end is leading your team in targets if it's Travis Kelsey like you had in Kansas City less so with Logan Thomas uh, you seem to be kind of like yeah we're happy with Logan Thomas but probably not ideal they got back to where they wanted to go this week with McLaurin even though it was not a um you know a dynamic passing attack by any stretch uh they're gonna have to work on what you know what's going on with with not getting the ball to Jahan they still need to do that uh the run the run attack wasn't much going on Atlanta is one of the better run defenses in the league but they were it was a more of a much more of a balanced attack basically a 50-50 split run pass um I think in general that's good and I do think to a degree that that helped um early on when they were scoring but then like as i said things really kind of fell apart later in the game and they just could not get anything going and that put them in a position where atlanta could have nearly uh pulled this one out but the defense uh held up for sure um let's get to the defense because i think the defense is really more of the story in this one for sure now Let's start with the formations, right? We, we, we talk a lot about the five defensive linemen look. You know, the... Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Cinco package. I know for some reason I get annoyed saying Cinco package when others do it as well, even though that's what it's called. But okay. (laughs) Five defensive linemen. Um, 
27 snaps with that look. And, you know, last week against the Bears, a team with a running quarterback in Justin Fields, who had not been very successful throwing the ball, Washington did a lot of five defensive linemen looks as well, 24 snaps. I think the difference was two things. One, the Bears were willing and able to throw the ball down the field to take advantage of, um, you know, a, 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 at least one less defender, a pass defender in the back seven, where the Falcons, I think, were pretty consistent trying to run the ball and just were not having success. So when Washington used five defensive linemen, just to compare the two weeks, according to uh, True Media, against the Bears, Six point yard, six point zero yards per play against five defensive linemen. Atlanta, two point seven. Rush yards in total, eighty-one for the Bears, fifty-one for the Falcons. Yards per carry that equals to four point eight for the Bears, three for the Falcons. And net yards pass attempt, the Bears, ten point seven. As we know, DJ Moore shredded Washington's defense. Atlanta, two. Point six. Even when Kyle Pitts and Drake London were making some plays, it was mostly shorter stuff underneath. Uh, Washington's, um, you know, as part of this five defensive line, look, John Ridgeway plays a career high 33 snaps. That was 40% of the overall snaps. That look in this game did a lot of good things for Washington, even though they really only had five, uh, three true defensive tackles. Um, obviously with Ridgeway backing up Allen and Payne because they put they released Abdullah Anderson to activate uh, F.A. Obata for this game. I'll be curious to see. I don't still don't know yet how long Fedarian Mathis is out. Um, but the starters, you know, for the most part are playing a lot of snaps. Um, so, you know, for this team and, and, you know, like Chase Young played. 75 snaps, 90% overall, six highest total of his career. Uh, so, you know, depth over time there. Like, that is a position where they do have some some solid depth, right? We saw last year that the, the line was actually pretty good, even without Chase Young, for pretty much the whole season. There's a, always going to be a drop-off when you go from pro bowlers to non-pro bowlers, like, like Allen and Payne today, to a Ridgeway, but... We've seen Ridgeways can hold up, and and that's a good thing. Um, and it's also in the context of you have other stars you need. In that case, you maybe need the guy to just be solid. Whereas, like say on the offensive line, they don't have stars. They, 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 they you know they need everybody to sort of play to a certain level, and they may not have five guys who can play to that certain level consistently. But anyway, let me uh, re, let me get back to the the defense here. I, again, I think they did a, you know Bijan Robinson, Atlanta's. Uh, prized rookie running back never really got going um credit to uh jamin davis and others on defense for for corralling him as a pass catcher we'll get to that in a second uh but overall in this game the five defensive line looked just far more effective than they were against the bears now to the point of people from all over the place filling in how about casey Tuhill? 18 snaps, gets two sacks and one tackle for loss. Very nice production there. Now, he played, well, let me, let me independent of Casey Tuhill, Montez Sweat played the exact same number of snaps as John Ridgeway, 33. Now, I don't know what was said on, on the broadcast because I didn't watch it, 
or at least I didn't hear it. I saw the video the uh, in Atlanta press box. They have a video screen for each at each seat, but there was no sound. Anyway, in the locker room post game, it seemed to me that Sweat was getting his arm checked out a little bit, not in a dramatic way, but just a trainer kind of came over and was kind of feeling around and, and, and checking some things out. So I don't know if it was said that he was hurt in the game, but based on the 40% snaps, I'm assuming that that was a point of uh, a point made. I, I don't believe they ever said anything in the press box about that. So usually that's how we hear if a player is questionable or out. Uh, we didn't hear anything along those lines, but I am curious to see what happened there with Sweat. But again, between J- James Smith-Williams, Casey Suhill, Obata back, um, you know, they have other guys that they can play. And that's where we're talking about some depth. Yes, it's a lesser depth because you wouldn't obviously replace it. You wouldn't sit young or sweat for these kinds of guys, but they have guys who can do the job versus if you're saying, Hey, we think sweat and young are underachieving. What do we do? You're not going to put somebody in over them. Um, and unfortunately in their case, again, some of the positions where you think, Hey, this isn't even like this guy's not even a star player. Isn't there somebody else to use? Not necessarily. Okay, anyway, linebacker. So I mentioned 27 snaps as a five-man look. They had six in a 4-3, according to True Media. I don't believe they had any 4-3 looks before um, before this week. And, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit, I guess. If you could remember last week, I talked to Logan Paulson, our, our pal, about what they can do with his defense. And with Derek Forrest out and Jeremy Reeves out, I said, hey, what about, is this an opportunity to get Kalik Hudson in more, considering not only is he listed as a linebacker, but he's got a body to sort of play that Buffalo nickel spot, right? Wouldn't that be something to consider? And I don't think Logan was dismissive of it, but I, you know, it was kind of like, eh, we'll see. So Hudson doesn't play a ton. Ten snaps. He, had, again, had played one prior to this game. He gets three tackles in there, and I talked to him a little bit after the game, and, you know, again, another example of somebody staying ready for their opportunity. But, yeah, he played linebacker and Buffalo nickel, and I do wonder if this is something, again, especially with the injuries they have right now, is Khalid Hudson a way to get you some additional defensive back depth, even if he's sort of playing, quote-unquote, linebacker? Um, I don't know that... um, that's going to be the case. But I, I do think, again, this is where an example of depth, creative depth, a guy that they had not been using, gets put in there, does a good job. Is it a, is it a, is he somebody you can use weekly? I don't know. But in this scenario, particularly against a run heavy team, made sense. By the way, Atlanta, or sorry, the Giants next week, what's the Giants offense? Saquon Barkley and their best receiver is tight end Darren Waller. That could be an example of where maybe you'd lean into some of these uh, looks again. Again, we'll get to the Giants next week, see if Daniel, or later in the week, I mean, we'll see if Daniel Jones is going to play or what have you. Um, But this is another team where their best weapon is a running back and a tight end. And that's a place where maybe you want another linebacker and or somebody who can play that Buffalo nickel spot. So a good, good showing from Khalid Hudson. Jamin Davis, of course, one of the huge plays in the second half, picks off Desmond Ritter with with Atlanta driving for game-tying touchdown two-point conversion in the waning seconds with 31 seconds left. He picked off the pass. They were 
he he said he recognized that they were trying to get the ball to be John Robinson against him in coverage all game long. Frankly, it's understandable why Jamin Davis has struggled in coverage throughout his career. Um, instead, he gets his first interception of his, of his career on that play. He said he thought it would be either a double move or something inside. He he, he stayed with it and made the play. I was noting his snap percentages so far this year, starting in week one, 65, 62, then 78, 80, 80, and 90. Um, I don't know that, again, this means they're going to stay more and more with two linebackers versus more dime coverage or five defensive linemen, but these last two opponents have given them a real opportunity to use Jamie Davis more because of what the other team is trying to do. And, you know, I think for the most part, he has delivered in that regard. Uh, by the way, to the point of everybody getting involved, David Mayo, who had yet to play a single defensive snap this year, got in a couple in this game. Um, I, I want to we'll talk more about Cody Barton perhaps this week. I do want to go see the tape. He led the team and I think it was like 13 or 14 tackles. Did some good things. Also got called for a, a penalty where he jumped into Ritter and, and, and you know, hit him in the helmet. And that led to... Uh, a penalty taking off a good play, but um, I don't want to say good or bad about that until I get a closer look to see what he did. Uh, let's get to the defensive backs. Here are the players on defense who played 100% of the snaps this week. Cody Barton always does because, again, he's got the green dot. Cam Curl, he always does. And then Percy Butler, who we really didn't talk too much about in this game, or at least in terms of like the conversation of how they won. And, again, I want to see the, 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 the tape to see how he looked, but... He was the Derek Forrest replacement. He played every snap. Quan Martin, who back in the summer we might have thought would have been the guy who would have come in in these, in these scenarios, did at least play on defense. His first seven snaps, his first snaps on defense this season. Um, good to see him out there. Of course, with all that happening, in part was because Emmanuel Forbes, oh, I should say Danny Johnson, played 52 snaps. 63% overall as that third corner. All that was in part because Emmanuel Forbes played zero snaps. The, the uh, Zero snaps isn't just defense, it's everything. They're not going to have the, the that guy playing special teams, obviously, with that, with that skinny frame. Forbes, Ricky Stromberg, and Jacoby Brissett were the only players who did not play even a single snap for Washington in this game. Ron Rivera said... Uh, sitting Forbes was a good is hopefully he he thinks a good chance to give him a little bit of a reset uh, going forward. Obviously Forbes has really struggled in the last couple of games, and you know again Atlanta really didn't have any you know the, the splash plays were pretty limited there as opposed to what we saw the last couple of weeks where AJ Brown and DJ Moore um, really just torched them down the field. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Again, four with zero snaps, Quan Martin seven. That's not a great, uh, great usage of your first two picks, but they got the win. Again, a good example of short-term, long-term, where where do you go um, from here? Kendall Fuller, as I said, also had an interception earlier. You know, the defense played an extraordinary amount of snaps and only gave up 16 points. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice with the interception in the end zone with 5-11 to go um, with Atlanta on the verge of getting that potentially tying touchdown and then to follow up with a two-point conversion. By the way, I, I know there was uh, it was 16 points, not 17, because Atlanta went for two. 
earlier after scoring a touchdown. It's unconventional, but I understand it. I guess the basic point is you have either way you have a chance to um, tie the game. You could do the conventional kick the extra point, then you just need a touchdown and another extra point later, but that's to tie. In this case, if you get the two points, you would be 24 to 18, then a touchdown would win. So they played it that way. You still had a chance for two. Obviously, it didn't matter because they never ultimately got the play. Um, so, yeah, look, a win is a win is a win. Cliche or not, it is the absolute truth. And kudos to Washington uh, for getting that done. Did this change my view of where they are long term? No, it did not. Uh, I think there's still a lot of questions. And, and look, this is just the nature of the NFL. You have two mediocre teams. Anything can happen. I mean, look, the Giants arguably should have beaten Buffalo on Sunday night, but twice they had the ball at the end of each half, like at the one-yard line, basically, and came away with zero points, and again, they lost by five. Who knows what happens next week? The Giants have had the Washington's number for the most part in recent years, uh, so it could happen again, or Washington could win by 20. This is the nature of the NFL. Probably winning by 20 is an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. So I give the team credit for... You know, as to use some Rivera uh, language, you know, for bowing up here in these big spots, and they did what they needed to do on in all three phases. It's the definition of the complementary football that they want to play. It's also still a lot of questions. Uh, you know, overall on both sides of the ball, several moving will we'll have moving forward. Um, Emmanuel Forbes, well, you know, again, uh, what, what's going to happen on the offensive line? Um, will they, you know, w- w- will this uh, scenario keep them in more five defensive line fronts, more more reps for Cleek Hudson? What's the next step for Sam Howell here? How are they concerned about how much he was holding the ball to appear this game? All that's to be discussed, and we'll do that this week here on the podcast and on the Athletic and on Twitter. They also won, and ultimately that is what matters in the short term. We'll feel what the long term later on. Um, last thing I do want to say, the um, pregame, um, Atlanta was, a uh, for some inside baseball, print reporters are not allowed on the field pregame. We used to be pre-COVID. Rules have changed since. We're not allowed out there. TV reporters with cameras, yes. Print reporters, no. So it is rare, and it's not just a Washington deal. It's kind of a universal um, sentiment. Atlanta, though, is one of the places that you are allowed to be on the sidelines pregame, and we took advantage of it. We're down there a couple hours um, pregame, got a look around, and we weren't the only ones on the field. Others on the field, uh, limited partners, Mitch Rails and Mark Ein. And we see them talking to a group of people who I did not recognize. But you realize after watching for a couple minutes or seeing what was happening that whoever is conducting the conversation was about eight or 10 people was pointing around the stadium. And it became clear that they were getting a look at the stadium and what, what, what the Falcons have done there. And Mercedes Benz uh, stadium is a very nice one. You know, if we're going to have the conversation of the best stadiums in the league, I, I don't know if I would put it number one or anything, but it's very nice. Aesthetically. I think the seats, I, I, I didn't see, sit in the seats, but the, you know, the angles look pretty good. I know the food is very good in the press box and my sense is that it's pretty good and fairly inexpensive 
around the, the arena. Anyway, a very nice modern stadium. And the conversation that the, that I saw, and I think others others did as well, probably had at least 30 minutes on the field on the sideline behind the, one of the end zones. Um, yeah, they were there for a while. And then after the game, you know, Mark Ein is tweeting about how much he liked the stadium. Um, we had a chance to see uh, Mitchell Rails after the game outside the locker room, and you know he just very quick, brief conversation, but he seemed to enjoy getting a, a look around as well. And obviously that's going to be a conversation that's probably going to keep happening. Um, you would think from these ownership groups, as they get a look at some of these stadiums, you know, later in the year, uh, Washington will play against the Rams. So they'll be at SoFi stadium, one of the crown jewels of the league. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much they're going to take away from say visiting the giants or the Eagles, but Jerry world, perhaps um, that would be something to, to look at as well and you just kind of go forward from there so i think that's notable it's uh, you know the stadium stuff the new facility stuff all of that is long-term projects i do uh, as i said before wonder how quickly they start to move on a, a new practice facility if they're not going to tie it to making it one big uh complex keep the practice facility in virginia and then you can get that going sooner than later, but that's a whole, a whole different conversation to get to for sure. But anyway, just wanted to note that they were there. Magic Johnson was also uh, at the stadium. He was not on the field pregame, but we did see him later after the game by the locker room, which is just wild to see Magic Johnson floating around. But anyway, and he was much happier on Twitter after the game than, than he was after the Bears game. Again, very understandable. All right. Um, let's call it there. Congrats to the commanders for winning. Oh, by the way, congrats to the many of many of you who went to the game. I on the starting from the plane ride down, then at the hotel I was at, tons of commanders fans all over Atlanta, tons in the game. It's one of those games I used to experience this a lot at a Wizards game, where if you're not watching the play and you hear the crowd noise, you might think that the home team did something great. But in the case of the Wizards, it was often you know, whatever LeBron did, the Celtics did, um, the Knicks, whomever, Lakers. Here, the same thing was happening, but it was in reverse. There were times where I would be looking away from the field, and you hear crowd noise, and you look up, and Washington stopped the third down play. The defense stopped the third down play, or Sam Howe completed a pass. The It was a lot of a lot of Commanders fans there. I know Atlanta is not the most robust NFL uh, fan base. Regardless, you guys showed up in, dro- in droves. Props to you for that. Um, I will see how many of you are in, in New York. I know the Giants fans will be there, even though they are a miserable team right now. And we'll see, though, uh, if, if, if uh, however many Commanders fans show up can make an impact, if, especially if Washington gets ahead in that one. Um, all right, but that is it for now. Uh, again, appreciate you checking this out. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button for this podcast, go ahead and do so. Uh, make sure to take a look at The Athletic. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standick. But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See you.